and welcome to our Wednesday night Bible study here in at Celebration Church. My microphone's on. Yes, it's on now. Now it's on. Can you hear me? Okay, good. Hello. <laughs> I'm kind of excited. I am at our Appleton campus tonight. This is the very first time that we've uh, broadcast. We've been doing multi-site. <clears throat> yeah. Uh, for about 12 years uh, in Green Bay, uh, but we haven't been able to do it from any of our other campuses back because of the prohibitive cost. When we were first doing multi-site, we had uh, you know, satellite uplinks and stuff like that. It was a big deal. We still have an old satellite uplink behind our church over there, but uh, uh, the technology keeps changing. Things keep getting cheaper, and now it's the first time we're able to launch because of the fast internet speeds. They got fiber internet here now. So this is the first time. Hopefully it works and you guys can see me in Green Bay and in Stevens Point. But uh, so the first time that we're doing this, we're excited about it. Uh, the next step would obviously be able to be doing this in Stevens Point. They tell us they still don't have fiber uh, optic cables laid in point yet. But you know, at least, you know, they just got in running water, right? So I don't know. <laughs> I'm teasing, I'm teasing. So, uh, so I don't know, whenever they, they get that fixed, that we'll be able to expand it, so I, we're just thrilled. So we'll be doing this uh, several times on Wednesday nights just to make sure it actually works. And then once we're confident, we'll do it on a Sunday morning. <laughs> and uh, it'll be fun to actually be able to pop up at the different campuses. That's how most multi-sites are done. Ours are kind of a little odd in that way, but we're excited about it. Anyway, uh, welcome to all you guys, all you in uh, Green Bay, as well as uh, Stevens Point, all those who watch us on the internet, thousands of people view these things every week. We're glad that you've joined us. Uh, we are in the book of Romans, Paul's letter to the Roman church. We are now in Paul's third missionary journey, and uh, he has traveled, he, he keeps going back through this area, evangelizing everybody and everything, and uh, so now he's gotten back to Corinth. While he's at Corinth, uh, he writes this letter to the church in Rome. He's never visited them, but he's certainly aware of their existence and knows a lot of the same people and stuff. So he writes them this, this letter. We call them books, epistles, whatever. So we're almost done now with this. So we are in a chapter 15 of the letter to the Romans, keeping in mind they were never written in chapters. It's just you know, so you can find where, where we're talking. Chapter 15, verse uh, one. Um, now, we just finished chapter 14, obviously. This is when Paul starts getting into this thing about uh, respecting people's level of faith and not to cause people to stumble. If you're really strong in your faith and you're doing something that freaks somebody else out, uh, I struggle with this. I don't really know what he's talking about, to be honest. I, I said that, you know, last week or whenever. Um, but we're talking 2,000 years ago. He said, for some reason, if someone ate vegetables only for religious reasons and you're having a bratwurst, that would mess with their faith. I don't know, who cares? Eat the bratwurst. Why do you care, right? But anyway, this was a big deal. So anyway, he says, you know, try and respect people and be nice and don't freak people out. Don't be insulting. It's basically the sense of it. The only thing that ticks me off are when Christians try to use this part of the Bible to insist that you don't do something they don't like, right? I don't like you doing that, you know, so that's gonna cause me to stumble. What's that gonna cause you to stumble? You just don't like something, for heaven's sakes. So everybody has things they don't like. Uh, you shouldn't claim it as some kind of a stumbling thing. Quite frankly, uh, you'd have to be pretty weak in your faith, I think, to fall away from Jesus because of what somebody else does. 
I would think, you know. Unless, I mean, an obvious thing would be like, you know, if someone's really looking up to you and, and they want to come to church and they get in the car with you and you're driving down the highway and somebody cuts you off and you start screaming at them and flipping them the bird and yelling and stuff. Yeah, they probably won't come back to church. You're a hypocrite, right? I mean, stuff like that I can get. I just don't get it over what you eat. Who cares? Anyway, apparently it was a big deal to them. So we're in chapter 15 now. It says, we who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. So keeping in mind that some people's faith is weak. All right. I will say this from a theological standpoint. You don't have to always necessarily straighten out someone's theology immediately, okay, when they first start expressing faith in Jesus. You know, let's say someone comes from a, you know, like we're not Catholics, we're, we're Protestants, but a lot of us were raised Catholics. A lot of, I'd say 80% of our church are all former Catholics. So someone comes from the Catholic church and they start coming here and they're starting to experience Jesus. I don't think you need to shove down their throat everything that you disagree about with Catholics, right? You know, shut up, you know? They'll figure it out eventually. They start reading the Bible. They start, and they, if they have questions, they ask. But uh, we don't, you know, do that. Or anybody else or, or whatever. There's no reason to just traumatize people who don't get everything right away. Be patient. Now, each of us should please our neighbors for their good to build them up. For even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the insults of those who have insulted you have fallen on me. And certainly he was insulted greatly. For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through the endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. That's the reason we have the scriptures, to give us hope, all right? Now may God, who gives endurance and encouragement, boy, those are two things you need, right? <laughs> it's good to be encouraged. Sometimes you just need endurance, you know, just to be able to suck it up, buttercup. Right? To able to just go through whatever else that you're going through. Because uh, we all pray for stuff to change, right? Everybody prays for things to change because, you know, we just live in this world. But sometimes we just need patience, endurance when things don't change right away. Because we're impatient, right? Everybody wants things to change right now. Well, on occasion, God will show up and boom, instantly turn things around for you. Other times, you need a bit of endurance, all right, to be able to ride it through. So he gives us that. He gives us the endurance. He gives us the encouragement. Uh, may the God who does this give you the same attitude of mind toward each other that Christ Jesus had, so that with one mind and one voice you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Accept, no, uh, accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you, in order to bring praise to God. Generally speaking, I, I don't think too many people have that problem uh, today, we, we tend to be fairly tolerant towards people, which is good. I remember when I was first, became a Christian in 19, or 1863, or whatever it was, but uh, <laughs> was, it, was it 19, uh, 1970, uh, somewhere in there. Anyway, you know what, we all had really long hair, and, and we dressed like bums. We were hippies, right? And we had bell-bottom pants. They were huge. They were massive. Massive was like, you know, like a whole other pair of pants just floating down there. Everywhere you go. And, uh, and we, we started going to church because someone told us about Jesus. And we came in. We don't have any shoes on because we didn't wear shoes. We came with T-shirts with holes in them and stuff, you know. And, and some churches that we came in, they just freaked. 
they just freaked. I mean, they didn't want anything to do with us. I remember sitting in church one time, we came in, and the preacher was just yelling at us. The whole time he's preaching, saying, your presence, your presence. he's just pointing right at us. And we're like, whoa, you know, because our hair was too long or whatever the deal was. Um, I don't think too many people have those kind of hang-ups. Certainly in our church, we encourage to just love people. Everybody doesn't have to look the same. Everybody doesn't have to be the same. So anyway, so that's good. Accept one another just as Christ has accepted you in order to bring praise to God. For I tell you that Christ has become a servant of the Jews on behalf of God's truth so that the promises made to the patriarchs might be confirmed. Even with all that means. And moreover, that the Gentiles might glorify God for, for his mercy. So here's what he's saying. Uh, the patriarchs are like uh, the founders of the faith, starting with the Jewish faith. And we're doing this on our Sunday morning services. We're doing a series of significant events in the Old Testament. We're going to be talking about these patriarchs. We're talking about Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, all these major players that God came and made promises to that they would be part of a chosen group, that the Messiah would come from that group. Uh, so he says, Jesus came to the Jews to fulfill all those promises. And originally, when Jesus came, it was strictly for the Jews. In fact, the scripture says he came to his own, but his own didn't receive him. And then it goes on to say, but as many as receive him become children of God. So what happened is he comes to the Jewish people. They, by and large, reject him, and the gospel now is opened to all those who are not Jewish, which would be us, praise the Lord. So we are really in what's called the dispensation of the Gentiles. We are Gentiles as someone who's not yet Jews, Gentiles, everybody else is a Gentile, if you're not a Jew. And so the gospel now is preached to the Gentiles. Paul was the apostle to the Gentiles. This is where Christianity is exploding everywhere, is wherever there are Gentiles. There's Jews as well in these places, and in the letter to the Romans, he spends a lot of time trying to explain to the Jews that they're not forgotten, and God's still going to fulfill everything he planned for the Jews, and he has a plan set for us, where he starts touching on things like predestination, God's plan set and order, and Christians argue about that kind of stupid stuff, but... Don't argue about that stuff. So all of that, uh, uh, so Jesus comes. And in fact, there was one time where a lady came to Jesus uh, asking for, for help, but she wasn't Jewish. And Jesus looked at her and said, well, it's not right to give the children's bread to the dogs. Well, that's not very nice. He basically calls her a dog. And, and the Bible says, she looked at him and said, but Lord, even the dogs eat the crumbs from the master's table. And Jesus said, oh, this lady's got some strong faith. And he answered her prayer right then and there. She got the miracle. But I mean, that was pretty strong. He wasn't there to try and reach non-Jews. He was there strictly to reach the Jewish people to fulfill all things that had been prophesied about the Messiah. Now, after his resurrection, then everything changes. And that's where he says... And moreover, the Gentiles might receive, might glorify God for his mercy. And he starts to read scriptures from the Old Testament that talk about this idea of the Gentiles being part of the kingdom of God. See, all this, none of this stuff is a secret to God. You know, it didn't all just happen accidentally. He's always knew what was going to happen. He had a plan for what was going to happen. And so he talks about that. And he starts quoting some of the Old Testament scriptures. First one he quotes from... Uh, uh, Psalm 18, he says, therefore, I will praise you among the Gentiles. I will sing the praises of your name. And then uh, 
he quotes from Deuteronomy, rejoice you Gentiles with his people. And then again from another Psalm, Psalm 117, praise the Lord all you Gentiles, let all the peoples extol him. Uh, and then he says again, Isaiah says, so he points to where it's coming from, uh, the root of Jesse, which is uh, the son of David, David, they knew the, pro- the Messiah would be from David's line. That's why when Jesus was walking, they would call out to him, O son of David, remember, because, because that's, that was his geneal- genealogical line. The root of Jesse will spring up, uh, one who will ar- arise to rule over the nations, talking about Jesus, and in him the Gentiles will hope. So all this stuff was really forecast in the Old Testament. They, just, they missed it by and large because they, you know, they didn't think much of the Gentiles. The Gentiles to them are you know, just in the same category as goats and sheep or what, you know what I'm saying? It's just, and, and actually the truth is if you get around really hardcore, hardcore Jewish people uh, who are very devout, uh, they don't really have much to do with non uh, not Jewish people. In fact, you ever wonder why some people hate the Jews and what's their problem, right? Why everybody's like, oh, I hate the Jews, I hate the Jews, persecuted the Jews. So, well, part of that, they bring on themselves <laughs> because they're such jerks and stuff. I mean, seriously, some of them, they just won't have anything to do, they won't touch you, you know, because you're, you're unclean and stuff like that. You can imagine that ticks off all the Gentiles. Now, that's, you know, any Christian who says he doesn't like a Jew is an idiot because this whole Christian Bible was written by Jews. Jesus was a Jew. His mom was a Jew. Everybody around him, they were all Jews. How can you be a Christian and hate Jews? I, I hear that it makes me, you know, like these skinheads and stuff, you know. We gotta hate those Jews and get back to our God-given Christianity. <laughs> well, what an idiot, right? I mean, it's like, how can you be so dumb and still breathe? But, uh, but that's what they did. You know, it was all very, very bizarre. Uh, so anyway, uh, Listen, there's a lot of wonderful Jewish Jewish. I mean, I'm just saying, if you get around, anybody who's been around a real the hardcore culture, they won't really have much to do with you. They won't talk to you, and they stay away. Um, and, uh, but they're wonderful, wonderful people. I uh, was in an uh, airport in, I don't know, where was I? New Zealand, I think. And this lady comes running up. This, and you could tell, by the way, she was dressed, Jewish lady, comes running up to me. And uh, she says, Oh, I know who you are. You're Mark Gunger. And I just want to tell you how much we love you because they, they love my marriage series, right? And, uh, and I reach over to, to shake her hand and she pulled away. You know, they're not allowed to touch people like me. Right? <laughs> At least she was. I mean, she was very devout. She was on her way actually to uh, England to marry her fiance who was a Jewish rabbi. And she said, he's a big fan of yours. I said, well, tell him hi. You know, but I won't touch you. Okay, so very, very strict. Anyway, um, so and all this idea of the Gentiles, which is what Paul's talking about, and all this stuff, all of this had been forecast in the scriptures, if you look and see, and he starts pointing out all these places. That, and the strongest one is the last one, where Isaiah says, this, this Messiah who will rule over the nations, in him the Gentiles will hope. So the salvation comes to the Gentiles. And then Paul says, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. I myself am convinced, my brothers and sisters, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with knowledge, and competent to instruct one another. 
He says, I know you know this stuff. I know you're strong in the faith. He says, yet I've written you quite boldly on some points to remind you of them again because of the grace God has given me to be a minister of Christ to Christ Jesus to the Gentiles. He was the one who admits, this is my calling, to minister to the Gentiles. So in a way, what he's doing is, is and you do this from time to time in his letters, uh, Peter did the same thing, where he would write these fundamental truths. But there's stuff they'd heard before, and they admit, I know you know this stuff, but I'm telling you again, now we're glad they wrote it down, so now we can see it, okay? But remember, they were there, and they taught him these things, and all he's saying is, look, I'm, I'm writing this stuff to you just to remind you, it's important, uh, to be reminded uh, because I am the uh, minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles. By the way, <clears throat> I spoke on this, I don't know, whatever it was, a few months ago, talking about the importance of reminding. Anybody remember this? The importance of reminding and how people, especially in relationships, get angry if they have to remind you. And wives get mad if they have to remind my husband. And the husband goes, why do I have to remind you? And why do you have to remind each other? And quit trying to remind me. And they get mad at each other. They go in each other's throat and stuff because they take it as a huge insult. When in point of fact, couples who get along great, that's all they do is remind each other. All the time. You know, seriously, I'd miss half my life if my wife wasn't there reminding me what the heck was going on. <laughs> you would think, at 62 years of age, I could remember that every Tuesday night, the garbage comes to be taken, has to be taken out. Not a chance, you know what I'm saying? Every Tuesday, don't forget to take out the garbage. Oh, you know, and I'd think, I'm gonna remember this week. I don't know, who knows, who cares? But to be reminded is not a bad thing. God, see, that's the thing that stunned me when I was studying it. God himself set things up to remind himself. See, all reminding means is to take something that is in your head and bring it to the forefront. It doesn't mean that you have Alzheimer's. In fact, if you have some kind of old brain problem, you can't be reminded. That's the point. You can't remember. If someone tries and you try to reach back in there and you pull out the drawers and nothing's in the drawer, you know, and those of us get a little older, we start having moments like that. It's a little creepy. I know it's in here somewhere in my brain. Open the closet and it's empty. What's up? Where was that? I know something was in here and I can't remember what it was. All right? You get to the point, God forbid, where everything's like that. You can't be reminded. That's a problem. To be reminded is not a problem. It is not an insult. It's a powerful thing. To have to remind your kids, oh, I have to remind my kids, good, good. This is what we do. We're supposed to remind each other, be there for each other. Paul says, I write this stuff to remind you. They didn't get insulted. Well, you don't have to remind me. I heard it when he was here two years ago. No, it's good to be reminded. It's a healthy thing. Pull stuff that's filed away somewhere and, oh yeah, bring it to the forefront. Remember God put the uh, rainbows in the sky. He says, I did it to remind myself of my promise never to do this again. The thing is, when we teach it to little kids, we say, God put the rainbow in the sky to remind us. No. That's the thing. That's why I, I, I love doing this series on the Old Testament. It's amazing how many stories of the Old Testament have been so simplified for children that we actually get it wrong. He didn't do it to remind us. He did it to remind himself. Why would God need to be reminded? Because apparently, that's the way it works. Everybody, even when even God says, I do things to remind. And it's amazing how many things in the Old Testament uh, were about reminding God. And they would cry out to God, oh Lord, remember your people. You seen these prayers in the Bible? They're saying, God, remember? Remember, remember your promise. Remember what you say. Remember your covenant to Abraham. God never got insulted and say, hey, wait, I'm God, I don't need to be reminded. Not one time. In fact, it would say when God would answer their prayer, and the Lord remembered them. 
and the Lord remembered them. Why? Because they just stuck it right in front of God's memory. Oh yeah, I have a deal with you people, right? So it's a wonderful thing. I actually want to do a whole little book on why couples need to remind each other. Because this is a hot point, but you have no idea how many couples who are bad get so mad over the reminding things. Because it just irritates the snot out of each other. That's what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to remind each other. It's a good thing. Okay, all that was free. (laughs) Till the book comes out. All right, now going on. Uh, He gave me the priestly duty of proclaiming the gospel of God so that the Gentiles might become an offering acceptable to God, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Therefore, I glory in Christ Jesus in my service to God. I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me in leading the Gentiles to obey God by what I have said and done, by the power of signs and wonders through the power of the Spirit of God. Now, this is really important to look at. One of the key things and one of the reasons that Christianity just exploded, it wasn't just a new religious theory. You know, if you read historically, and I, I love history, but I'll listen to some of these things and, you know, secular historians and say, well, you know, Christianity exploded because of this concept of forgiveness from God. Well, kinda. I mean, that was all radical and new. But what really blew everybody's mind is that God showed up and did miracles. And when, so, now, these guys, obviously, special powers in them, these apostles and all this stuff like that. Uh, But I still think even as Christians, we should expect God to show up to make his points to people. That's why I encourage you, if you're trying to influence someone that's not a Christian, trying to get someone to church and stuff like that, when you find out, if, if you become friends with people at all, it doesn't take long before they cough up the problems they're having. You know, I got this physical problem or this bad thing happened to my uncle or we're having this problem with the IRS or whatever else. Tell them, say, man, do you mind if I pray for you? And then some people, they're afraid to pray. Say, well, what if God doesn't answer the prayer? Number one, they'll be impressed that you even cared enough to pray for them. And if God doesn't answer the prayer, they're not going to be freaked out because they don't believe it. <laughs> they just think you're being nice. But how do you know God won't show up? And all of a sudden, the next day, everything changed. And they go, holy cow. Remember you said you'd pray for my, th- yeah? Well, that changed. You just smile, say. See, that's the stuff. When God starts showing up in people's lives, because it, then it gets past this intellectual thing, right? Of trying to understand and agree, and I don't know, and I got my theory. Everybody's got the theories about God. Most of it's all nonsense, right? But, the, you know, all the, if you get, if that's where you stay, you're never going to get anywhere. People always say, well, what can I say to this guy who doesn't believe in creation? What can I say to this guy? I don't know there's a whole lot you can say to a whole lot of people. What you can do is be very nice to them, be their friends, be kind to them when nobody else will be kind to them, and when you find out they have troubles or problems, let them know you are praying for them, and then pray. And if you're really good friends with them, pray with them right on the spot. That always freaks them out. <laughs> just grab their hands. Okay, let's pray. Lord, I just pray. They're hoping nobody's looking, you know. And then God shows up. I mean, it's very powerful. That's very cool stuff. Uh, And and there's so many testimonials that we have of people who did that for people, and that's why they're in church today. And that's why God had changed their life, because someone prayed for them, and all of a sudden they got the answers of prayer, and it blew their minds. Nothing was working. Nothing was fixed until this Christian prayed for me. This is how Paul, he said, that's the whole point. Everywhere I went, God would show up. You know, you're probably not going to raise people from the dead and stuff like this guy did, you know, but just pray for people. Who knows what'll happen, Right? 
Because it's, you know, you never have to worry about what if God doesn't answer their prayers. Number one, they're not expecting God to answer their prayer. <laughs> That's the beauty of it. When he does, it just freaks the wheelies out of them. Okay? And even if he doesn't, just the fact that you care enough to pray for them, that really has an impact on people. So, you know, don't get caught into where everything about Christianity is arguing your philosophy and concepts with them. Uh, learn to pray for people, care for people, and let God show up, because that's how he did this, by the power of signs and wonders, the power of the Spirit of God. So from Jerusalem all the way around to Elicrium, whatever, however say that, I have fully proclaimed the gospel of Christ. It has always been my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ was not known so that I would not be building on someone else's foundation. So he literally went out of his way to go to places where nobody else was going. If he knew that a bunch of guys were going this direction, he wanted to go that direction. And he spent a lot of time here, so I guess not too many people hung out there. So he, he would go to these places. That was always his ambition. Has anybody heard about Jesus up in Macedonia? I don't think so. Let's go there. Has anybody heard about Jesus down in Corinth? No, man, Corinth is hardcore. You don't want to go there. Good, let's go there. What about Ephesus? Anybody going to Ephesus? I don't think so. Well, let's go there. And he would just do all these major points and stuff. That's where he went. That was his main thing. Uh, he said, I didn't want to build where somebody else was building. He wanted to, I said, I just want to start from scratch. Now, he wanted to go where it was the hardest. He was the ultimate church planter. Okay? So, you know, I, I don't know. There's people like that. They're very, they're very strong church planters, and they like to go where there's nothing and start from scratch. I like going where there's already people <laughs> that are on my side. Just, I'm just saying, you know, that's me. You know, certainly no Paul the Apostle. But that's what he liked. He, he dug it. Um, <laughs> reminds me of the old joke of uh, two salesmen for a shoe company. And, and they go to Africa. They get sent to Africa to sell. And after 10 days in Africa, the one guy calls the shoe company and says, man, give it up. Close up. There's no sense of being. Nobody here wears shoes. And then an hour later, the other salesman calls up, man, you got to ship me everything you got. Nobody here has shoes. <laughs> right? So he's got two different ways. Paul was that kind of guy. Nobody's got it. Let's go get them. So that's what he did. Uh, as it is written, he says, those who were not told about him will see. Those who have not heard will understand. This is why I've often been hindered coming to you. So he says, the reason I haven't gotten to you guys, I've been so busy doing all this other stuff. All right? Um, but now that there is no more place for me to work in these regions, and he pretty much, he pretty much nailed it all in this area, okay? And since I've been longing to come for many years to visit you, I plan to do so when I go to Spain. So even going to see them isn't really his main reason for going. <laughs> I want to go to Spain. Why? Because I already know there's a lot of good Christians here. I hear in Spain they don't got Jack. So his plan is, let's go to Spain. I'll stop and see on the way to Spain, you know, little. and then, then we'll really do something. Which, by the way, he never gets to, okay? Uh, he's, he's about to run into all kinds of trouble. He gets arrested here, and then they drag him back to Italy, Rome, where he is uh, murdered or killed because of his faith. Martyred is the word I'm looking for. There we go. So, I hope to see you while passing through and to have you assist me on my journey there. <laughs> you know what that means? I can't wait to see, see and visit you guys so you guys can give me some money to help me out where I'm going. 
Isn't that awesome? After, after I've enjoyed your company for a while, <laughs> then cough up some money because I want to go to Spain and win some people for God there. Now, however, I'm on my way to Jerusalem in the service of the Lord's people there. Yeah, yeah, he's on his way to Jerusalem, all right. Does not end well. For Macedonia and Achaia were pleased to make a contribution for the poor among the Lord's people in Jerusalem. They were pleased to do it, and indeed, they, they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles have shared in the Jews' spiritual blessings, they owe it to the Jews to share with them in their material blessings. Uh, this is a very strong concept in Scripture. Uh, it's one of the reasons why Paul established that pastors and full-time Christian workers should be supported by the church because they're giving and feeding to them spiritually, and because they're ministering to them spiritually, they should take care of their material needs. That's where we started getting the idea of full-time Christian workers, uh, that it was an appropriate thing to do. Um, and that's what they did. So anyway, he's here. And you remember we read in, uh, I think, the letters to the Corinthians or whatever about this offering and to give, and we want to help these people out because the people down here were really having a hard time. So he's saying, what I'm wanting to do now is I've gotten all this money from these guys, and I want to go back, and I want to go help out the, the people in Jerusalem. And he says it's a good thing to do. He just wants to bless them. Uh, we've, you have all tapped in to the blessings of the Jewish people because of the promises of God and the Messiah coming, and it's only right because we've received their spiritual blessings that we come to them with material blessings. All right? So, uh, after I've completed my task and have made sure that they have received this contribution, I will go to Spain and visit you on the way. Again, I still think it's rather funny. I'm not really coming to see you, uh, but since you're in the way, I'll stop, and you can give me some money. I know that when I come to you, I will come in the full measure of the blessing of Christ. I urge you, brothers and sisters, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit to join me in my struggle by praying to God for me. Pray that I may be kept safe from the unbelievers in Judea and that the contribution I take to Jerusalem may be favorably received by the Lord's people there so that I may come to you with joy by God's will and in your company be refreshed. The God of peace be with you all. Amen. If you've ever gotten discouraged because you've had prayers that weren't answered, uh, you're not the only one. Paul's prayer for all of this did not get answered. Pray for me that I'll be kept safe from the unbelievers here. <laughs> That's not what happened. Hello. They arrested him and drug his butt off to, so why didn't God answer his prayer? Well, we'll talk about that in a little bit, but it's just interesting. The very thing, pray for me, this is my plan, I want to go to Spain, pray that I'll be safe when I go and I'll take all this money, everybody will be really happy. Well, none of it turns out the way he had hoped. So sometimes things, despite your best efforts, and really, the truth is, Paul knew this. Don't you think Paul was always praying for God's protection and stuff? See, we skip over it. We, when we read and when we're looking at uh, the letter to the Corinthians, remember, he'd stop every once in a while and say, man, I have been beaten, arrested, attacked by wild animals, thieves. I mean, he, his life sucked, man. I mean, I mean, it's terrible. And he often said, sometimes I, I wish I'd just die. We miss all that. We think Paul was, the praise of the Lord. God is good, everything is good all the time. I got, here this guy's working miracles and stuff and that dog's trying to bite his leg off. You know what I'm saying? It's like, what the heck? So, you know, everybody has struggles, including these guys. Um, and we'll even see there were friends and stuff that Paul prayed for that were sick that, you know, 
they died. You know, not everybody got everything. Uh, at the end, God is he's in command and he'll do what's best for everybody in the end. So anyway, verse, chapter 16, he just wraps up this whole thing. He says, I commend you, and it's interesting, because uh, if you were here, how many of you were listening to me on Sunday? Sunday, everybody out there, Sunday, hopefully you were talking about how in the cross, women are lifted up, okay? They are validated. Uh, you know, this idea, and it's, it's amazing how entrenched it is in the Christian community, evangelical Christian. The more fundamentalist you are, the more of an idiot some of these guys tend to be when it comes to women. I think, well, women gotta submit. We gotta do what I tell them to do, and we're a friends inside. Why don't let women talk in church? It's like taking all these scriptures out of context. When the Bible doesn't talk that way to women. So well, they're supposed to respect us. It also says husbands respect your wives. Well, they don't quote that, do they? You know, Because he says they are joint heirs. They're on the same level as we are. In Christ, there's no difference between male or female. Jesus lifted them up, okay? Now, Paul didn't know. There are some things in 1 Corinthians where he talked about how to do church where he said, I, w- I won't allow women to speak in front of everybody. Okay, what was that all about? I don't know. But the way that he describes church, nobody does it that way anyway. The truth is, none of you can say anything anymore. <laughs> I won't let you. <laughs> right? The way they used to do church is they would sit down and everybody would just take turns teaching and preaching and everyone would have a psalm and a concept and an idea and stuff like that. Oh, that's how they did church. They got together. Of course, they didn't have cars, and they didn't run home to watch the Packer game or anything else. Very rough life. And uh, so they would get together. They were there all day long, and he just allowed different people to, I mean, I don't know. All I know, I don't know how long it took, but it didn't take very long before all of that stopped. And when Christians would gather together, you had a pastor, a leader, who would get up and preach the word, the people would receive it, and we were done. So when people pick on that, the truth is... Uh, we don't even do church like they did. Why? I don't think, now there's some people who try to do it. They don't like traditional church like what we have now and their version of church is sitting at home in a circle and everybody takes turns and it's fine. You know, God bless them. I mean, nobody goes to those churches, all of, you know, 12 people in America, you know. <clears throat> Seriously, very small groups. Nobody wants to go to this. It's very odd. So uh, anyway, all that to point out as he goes through this list, look at how many women he references. Number one, I commend to you our sister, Phoebe, a deacon of the church. Women aren't supposed to be leaders in the church. Really? Then how come Phoebe was a deacon? Well, Paul said, what about first? I don't know. When I was teaching, I told you half the things, I didn't understand what he's talking about. All I know is she was a deacon in the church or referred to as a deaconess. Um, I ask you to receive her in the Lord in a way worthy of his people and to give her any help she may need from you. For she has been the benefactor of many people, including me. So highly esteem and receive this woman in the church. Greet Priscilla and Aquila, the husband. My co-workers in Christ, they risked their lives for me. Not only I, but all the churches of the Gentiles are grateful to them. Greet also the church that meets at their house. Uh, greet my dear friend, I'm not going to read that now, I don't know what the name is, who was the first convert to Christ in the province of Asia. Greet Mary, a woman, who worked very hard for you. Greet Andronicus and Junia, my fellow Jews who have been in prison with me. They are outstanding among the apostles, and they uh, were in Christ before I was. So what he said is they were Christians before I was a Christian. 
They were standing among the apostles. Now, they don't know if that means these two were apostles or if they were just praised and esteemed by the other apostles. Doesn't really matter. Greet Amplidius, my dear friend in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our coworker in Christ. My dear friend Statius, greet Apellus, whose fidelity, which means faithfulness to Christ, has stood the test. Greet those who belong to the household of Aristobulus. Greet Herodian, my fellow Jew. Greet those in the household of Narcissus. <laughs> Hopefully they weren't narcissists. Uh, who are in the Lord. Greet Tryphena and Tryphosa. <laughs> women, two women. <gasps> who work hard in the Lord. Two women who have basically the same name. It's like Tweedledee, Tweedledum. Tryphena, Tryphosa. I wonder if they were sisters. Why am I asking these questions? I don't know. <laughs> Greet my dear friend Persis, another woman who has worked very hard in the Lord. Greet Rufus, there's a name we still know. Chosen in the Lord and his mother, who has been a mother to me too. This is not a man who looked down on women. Greet all these other guys <laughs> and the other brothers and sisters with him. Greet Philagalus, Philalagus, Julia, Nerus, and his sister, and Olympus, and all the Lord's people who are with them. Greet one another with a holy kiss. And all the all the churches of Christ send greetings. Uh, there are a lot of churches around the world who still practice the kissing thing. If you come into their church, like we all hug each other and shake hands and stuff, they kiss each other. Everybody kisses each other. Uh, in Latin culture, um, if you go to South America, all the women get kissed all the time. That's their introduction. Uh, in fact, if you're gonna, they don't expect you to shake their hands, they step forward so you can kiss them. Aren't you lucky? Okay, and you had to kiss them. The men don't do that. But in other parts of the world, the men do. In Italy, everybody kissed everybody. The men kissed, the, I'm talking on the cheek, you know. And, and some of these geezers are like 112 years old, right? And they got, they got just enough stubble on their face. It's like, like razor blades. And, and they say peace, peace in, in Italian, pace, pace. And they kiss everybody, mwah, mwah. And you'd rub these beards of these old guys, zing, zing. And your face was just red, like, whoa! Oh! That was really hot. All right? So uh, in America, though, we don't do that. We just hug and shake hands. So... Um, I urge you, brothers and sisters, to watch out for those who cause divisions and put obstacles in your way that are contrary to the teaching you have learned. Keep away from them. Every church has these people. Now, uh, thank God in Celebration Church, we have almost none of them anymore. We went through a real struggle time where they were everywhere, like cockroaches. Finally, they have gone, thanks be to God. And, uh, and by and large, people who come to this church like to come to this church, and they love this church, and they treat us all with great respect, and they love each other. And, uh, this, is, this is wonderful. I've, it's never been better than it is right now, which makes me nervous. <laughs> because no way is the devil done with that, right? There'll be some idiot somewhere who will get their undies in a bunch because I said undies in a bunch, right? <laughs> and they're going to tell you it's not proper for him to say undies in church. <laughs> <laughs> 
And he said, you know, I never knew that. I guess not. He should be talking about underwear. Why is he talking about undies? And why are they bunching? I don't understand it. And then, and then they're all talking and you have a group where you get together. Let's pray for the pastor with his undies talk because I think it's really inappropriate. And then and pretty, and pretty soon they're all mad and evil and they cried all these fights in the church. Don't have anything to do with these people. When you hear people just, and they're just whining and complaining and they try to be so spiritual and condemning and just, ay, 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 look out for them, Paul says. And we always need to be on the guard for that at all of our campuses because they will on occasion pop up again like weeds and uh, hopefully we weed them out. Get your weed whacker out. For such people are not serving the Lord Jesus Christ with their own appetites. They're really just working for themselves, for what they want, the way they want it. They have very strongly opinionated people. Uh, I get emails or letters from people like this every once in a while. Uh, and I really hope whoever sends me these letters that they're listening right now. I don't know if they come on Wednesday night, but what, what they don't know is the first thing to do when I get a letter is I go to the last page to see if it's signed. If it's not signed, so someone's working really hard writing me letters and I ain't reading any of them. Because you can't sign it, I don't want to hear it. All right? But these people, they're just looking for trouble. They just want to complain and criticize. And la, 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 la. Uh, but thank God we don't have much of that in our church. Um, they, but, but by smooth talk, smooth operator, they like to talk smooth and flattery. They deceive the minds of naive people. Don't be naive. Eyes open, okay? Everyone has heard about your obedience, so I rejoice because of you, but I want you to be wise about what is good and innocent about what is evil. Amen. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. Hallelujah. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Timothy, my co-worker, sends his greetings to you, as do Lucius, Jason, and Susupiter. I don't know. My fellow Jews. I, Tertius. Who's Tertius? He's the one who's been writing this this whole time. And he says, he's basically saying, hi, guys. He says, I, Tertius, who wrote down this letter, greet you in the Lord. So this entire letter was dictated by Paul. So he would just talk, and this guy had the job of writing down everything he had to say. So, Gaius, whose hospitality I and the whole church here enjoy, sends you his greetings. Erastus, who is the city's director of public works, and our brother, Quartus send you their greeting. Now to him who is able to establish you in accordance with my gospel, the message I proclaim about Jesus Christ in keeping with the revelation of the mystery hidden for long ages past but now revealed and made known through the prophetic writings by the command of the eternal God so that all the Gentiles might come to the obedience that comes from faith to the only wise God be glory forever through Jesus Christ. Amen. And that is the end. Of Romans, all right? So now, what we do now is we jump back to the book of Acts. Book of Acts, we're in chapter 20. What we'll be doing is we, the book of Acts is the history of the early church. We've been reading it in order, and every time where a letter was written during that period, we would stop, we'd go study the letter, and then we'd come back. So now we've gone through. So <clears throat> let's pick it up at uh, Acts, the 20th chapter, verse 1. Uh, can you guys find that? Putting the verses up there. Are we good? Okay, so, and when the uproar ended, there'd just been this big riot, okay? Paul sent for the disciples, and after encouraging them, he said goodbye and set out for Macedonia, all right? So, 
He's in Ephesus, big yo mama riot and everything else. After that calms down, he sets out for Macedonia. So he comes back up into here. When he gets up into here, that's when he writes the second letter to the Corinthians that we wrote, okay? So that's when we read that letter, uh, warning them, I'm on my way and I'm gonna kick your butts if you don't stop it because they're doing all kinds of crazy stuff. So he traveled through that area, speaking many words of encouragement to the people, and then he finally arrives in Greece, Corinth here in Greece. That's when he writes the letter to the Romans. So we just finished that. That's where he stayed for three months. Uh, So during that three-month period, he wrote this letter that we just finished reading. So now we pick it up. Because some Jews had plotted against him, just as he was about to sail for Syria, he decided to go back through Macedonia. So he finds out this plot to uh, have him killed. I don't know if it was on the boat or whatever, so he said, well, let's not do that. So he decides to go back up the, the way that they came. Um, da, 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 da. He was accompanied by Sopater, son of Pyrrhus from Berea, uh, and all these names I don't want to read. Timothy, I can read that, da, 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 province of Asia. So... Uh, he comes up here and he's coming through and he sees all these guys at Berea and Philippi and stuff like that. And then these men, and then it says here, these men went on ahead and waited for us at Troas. So the bulk of these guys, he got this, his, basically all his peeps that were kind of going back all the way to Jerusalem, which they wanted a bunch of people. They're carrying a lot of money at this point. You know, they didn't have American Express, right? They, they, weren't, they weren't wiring. You're going to take a bunch of money, you carry that money, which actually is... Uh, what happens when we send money to some places around the world. We're literally carrying some of these guys thousands of dollars of cash on them, which I shouldn't be saying on the internet, so hopefully nothing happens. But anyway, so, uh, but that's what they do. So they had a group of people around them to protect them, because there's no way of getting the money to them. So all these guys, so he gets together, and then they go to Troas, and for some reason, he waited a little bit later. It doesn't say why. I don't even know why he tells us, except for this. Notice what he says here. these men went on ahead and waited for us at Troas. Now, little tiny thing here about the book of Acts. The book of Acts is being written by um, Luke, okay? Uh, and what happens is the whole time you're reading the book of Acts, Paul did this, Peter did that, they went there, they did this, they did that, da 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 da, da. And then when he gets to Philippi the first time, then it starts saying, and we did this, and we did that, and stuff like that. Oh, no, I'm sorry, when he got, I think, to Ephesus. Up through here, it was we. There's this period, short period of we. When they get to Philippi, and then he goes down here, it goes back to they. They did this, they did this. So, what you can tell is what happens is Luke joins them here. He goes up here. He stays at Philippi and then back and tells what they did. And then as soon as he comes back up here, you notice he says, and we waited for them. They waited for us at Troas. And his very next verse says, uh, uh, but we sailed from Philippi under the festival of unleavened bread and five days later joined the others at Troas where we stayed seven Days, so they all meet up uh, at Troas here, uh, and they're all they're, so they're all gathered there. And now we get the we. And one of the things you'll start noticing right away is the level of detail kind of jumps because it's not third party anymore. It's I was there. 
This is what we did. So right away, just saying, these guys went ahead, we waited for so many days, and then we caught up to them uh, five days later, uh, where we stayed for seven days. I mean, a lot of the, that kind of detail. There's been so much detail you don't get, but all of a sudden, whenever he gets in the picture, the level of detail jumps dramatically. In fact, he's, a, he's about to tell of this uh, incredible sea journey that they do. It's one of the most dramatic uh, stories in the New Testament. And the level of detail is almost written like, uh, you know, like a novel, where they talk about all this, and the wind did this, and the next we did that, and they measured this much in the water to see that, and all of a sudden this thing started breaking off. And I mean, just the level of detail is off the chart. Because usually, all it says is, they were on a ship and it crashed. <laughs> right? I mean, most of the Bible doesn't, they don't tell a lot of detail. Uh, they just, boom, boom, boom. Uh, I like to pretend what the detail was and add to it, but uh, uh, so they don't tell it. People say, oh, it's just a bunch of made up stories. If these are stories, they're the worst storytellers in the world, all right, because they suck at this. They don't tell you any detail. They just tell this happened and that happened and that happened and that happened. You gotta kind of put it together. But when you get a firsthand witness here, whoa, it's interesting how much the detail pops up, okay? So on the first day of the week, we came together to break bread. That is where we get the Christian standard now of meeting on what day? Sunday. See, up until this time, Jews always met on what day? Saturday. That is the Sabbath. So then it became the Christian Sabbath, if you will, although we are not obligated to obey any Sabbaths. Uh, and a hardcore, like a Seventh-day Adventist, great Christian people, they only meet on Saturdays because they think the idea of Sunday is a heresy, you know. They get really ticked, and they think everybody should still maintain the Sabbath, most Christian teachings now, and we'll see where Paul's, remember Paul said, look, some people can one day holy and all other days the same. None of that stuff matters anymore. Some Christians don't agree with that, so it still matters, but anyway, that's where on the first day of the week, this little phrase right here is what now establishes Christianity from there on as they meet on the first day of the week, which is Sunday. Little trivia there. All right? So on the first day of the week, we came together to break bread. Uh, Paul spoke to the people, and because he intended to leave the next day, he kept on talking until midnight. You think, I can get long wind. I mean, holy moly. And he's blah, 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 blah. You know, all I can think of is they had nothing else. You know, there's no TV, right? There's no Netflix at this time. He had to go rent DVDs back in these days, you know. So. <laughs> they didn't even have red box in here, one of those kind of things. So I mean, they had nothing to do. I mean, and it's dark at night, and it's they don't have light bulbs. Everything's just candles and stuff, and I guess they're just hanging out. I think don't these people have jobs? I mean, I don't know. You know, it's just a different time of the world. So as he's talking, he just talks. They went early in the day. He's talking, and it's still midnight. We're talking hour after hour after hour after hour. I would have visions of taking my own life. I, mean, I, just, I can't imagine anybody that I wouldn't want to listen to that much. But that's, that was what they did. But uh, something else. There were many lamps in the upstairs room where they were meeting. I guess everybody's lighting so they can see what the heck's going on. All they had was that. Now seated in a window was a young man named Eutychus. So he's in the window, who was sinking into a deep sleep. You think? 
He was singing into his deep sleep as Paul talked on and on. So the poor kid, he's exhausted. This guy's blathering, like, shut up already. And he falls asleep. He's like, well, when he was sound asleep, he falls out of the window. And he falls to the ground from the third story and was picked up dead. Holy cow. I would think, time to wrap this up. (laughs) People start dying. It's a hint, right? Stop talking. Well, what does Paul do? What happened? He's dead. Really? Yeah, he's dead. Oh, for heaven's sake. Paul goes down, threw himself on the young boy, put his arms around him, and said, don't be alarmed. He's alive. He raises him from the dead. And then he went upstairs again and broke bread and ate after talking until daylight. Are you kidding me? He's talking so long, the guy drops dead, falling, squish. Oh, man, I hate that when people die when I'm preaching. He goes down there, raises it from the dead, and I go over there and get something to eat, and he keeps going till daylight. All stinking night. How can you have that much to say about anything? Oh. Anyway, he couldn't take a hint. The people took the young man home alive and were greatly comforted, I guess. <laughs> Eutychus is probably going, what happened? You died, really? What happened? He raised me up and we kept talking. <laughs> All right, so that's what they did. So he says, we went on ahead to the ship and sailed for Asos, which is... Here. So they get in, they're at Troas, and they sail a little tiny journey right there, uh, where they were going to take Paul aboard. He had made this arrangement because he was going to go there on foot. I don't know why. Who cares? That's what he did. So again, the detail that they're giving. He says, we all hopped in a boat to go from here to swing around over here. But Paul said, ah, I'm going to walk. Really? Yeah, I want to walk. All right, well, swing I'll pick you up. So they swing by, and they pick him up. Uh, when he met us there, he took, we took him, on, took him aboard and went on to Mytilene, which is here. So they sail from here to this little city on this little island. All right, the next day we set sail from there and arrived off Chios, wherever that is. I don't know where it is. I can't even, oh, here it is. So they come by through here. Or else we at? The day after that, we crossed over Samos, and on the following day, we arrived at Miletus. Miletus, Miletus, whatever is here. So Paul had decided to sail past Ephesus, which is what he did. So rather than stop at Ephesus, he was there a long time. He knew all these guys. He decided to sail past Ephesus because he wants to get to Jerusalem. Let's go. Let's keep. Let's get going. So what he does now is uh, when they when they arrived at. Whatever. From Lydus, Miletus, Paul sent to Ephesus for the elders of the church. When they arrived, he said to them, and then he has this big goodbye. He's going into this big deal about, you know, now I'm going to leave you guys. He's going to tell them, uh, the Lord showed me I'll never see you again. 
they're all crying. There's this big emotional thing, uh, which we'll wait till next week to get into it. But anyway, so he gives us big, big goodbye, and uh, he heads off to Jerusalem. It's going to be real interesting as we talk about this next week, because when he gets down there, this is when everything hits the fan, and he gets arrested, and he drags back and is martyred. Now, what's really interesting about all this is he was, they were, he was constantly warned by the Holy Spirit about going there. If you go there, this is what's going to happen to you. Uh, we're going to see a little bit later that one guy shows up, he's a prophet, and he prophesies to Paul. If you go there, this is what's going to happen. And Paul didn't care. And we can, we'll, we'll talk about it. It's kind of interesting. We'll kind of get into this whole thing about the will of God, how much is in stone, how much he lets you get away with. I don't know. Uh, now, in all fairness, it doesn't say God told him not to go. But if you're being warned, that's kind of not go, right? You don't warn somebody about something if you're not going to tell them not to do it. Don't go there because you'll get mugged if you go downtown. All right? That means don't go downtown. Not, I'm just giving you a heads up that you're going to get mugged. So he has all of this, all of this is said, that we're going to see, prophesied, spoken to, and, uh, and he didn't care. I am going. We'll take a look at it. It's kind of a real interesting question, you know. Why did he keep going? Would something else have happened if he didn't go? Would he have avoided that and continued to have other ministers? I mean, I don't know. You know, was it... I mean, at, at some point, you know, he, he, did, he, he was getting tired, you know. It was rough. He had a hard life. It was brutal. And he figured, man, I'm going to go someday. I mean, everywhere I go, somebody beats the crap out of me anyway, which is true. I mean, it was brutal. He just got hammered. And he probably thought, well, what difference does it make? I go here, they're going to beat me up here. I'll just go here. I want to go here. They're going to arrest you. What's new? You know? But anyway, he knew about it. It was all prophesied. It was warned. But he went Anyway, and we will read what happens when he gets down here and they put him in the hands of the Romans. Once the Romans get a hold of him, everything changes, okay? And the rules change and it's, and it's interesting uh, how he continues to proclaim the gospel of Christ. And it's from here that we get some of the epistles and we'll be jumping to those epistles that he wrote from prison. So those were written when he was on his way all the way up here. And, uh, and again, we'll read about the, uh, the big uh, storm that he was in and the drama of that whole storm. And fast, I mean, some, some of the most interesting and entertaining reading in the New Testament is coming. You don't want to miss this. This is going to be fun as we take a look at it because it gets rather dramatic as we get a real close firsthand look at what happens to him. Because Luke is now there and everything is we and us and, and he goes through all this with him. He sees it, he experiences the level of detail. It's very entertaining uh, as Paul makes this final stand, uh, even being warned about it anyway. So uh, we'll take a look at it. We'll read, we'll be breaking off and looking at some of these other letters that he wrote. Uh, and there you go. 59 seconds to go. Let's pray. Hallelujah. Father, we thank you for your word and for your truth. Thank you for the encouragement of your word. Thank you for guys like this that went ahead of us, that this stuff was recorded, that we can still talk about these things, the same words of encouragement and instruction they received, we have access to. 
and we can hear these words and be encouraged and stuff. As we continue to look at this, make your word alive and powerful and speak to us, we pray, that we might grow stronger in our faith. In Jesus' name we pray, and everybody said, amen. amen. Okay, you guys, bye-bye, Appleton, or you're Appleton. Goodbye, bye-bye, <laughs> bye-bye, Green Bay, and Stephen's point. See ya.